those that are turning in your Bible, we're going to be over to Second Chronicles 24 with a short stop of chapter 22. If you want to look up on the screen, you're more than welcome to do that as well. Proverbs tells us that if we repay evil for good done toward us, that evil will not depart from our house. We cannot return evil for good. We know that's in the Word of God. That has been told to us. When good has been demonstrated to us, when we have received good, we're grateful for it. But sometimes, with some people, that gratefulness turns and we become ungrateful. How is it that we get from a place where we receive something good and we're grateful to the point where we are no longer grateful for that thing, despise it, become ungrateful? How do we get there? We know that it has happened. We know that it has happened with people in our own lives. There have been people that we have blessed. There have been people that we have given good things to. And then all of a sudden, they're not grateful for it. That the whole spirit towards us has changed. How does that happen? Where does it come about? Because if I don't understand how it happens, how can I prevent it from happening to me? So we're going to take a look at a story where this has occurred. This is one we haven't looked at for a couple of years mentioned it a few times, but we're going to take a look at the, the actual... I want to see... Well, I looked at this story for this purpose. What made him go from a place of being grateful to a place of being ungrateful and his actions were made it extremely aware, aware that he was not grateful. He had forgotten the things that had gone on. So, with that, we're going to be over here in, in Chronicles. Last week, we were looking at Esther and Haman. We saw in the, in the end there that the signs of ungratefulness were insufficient. What I have is not enough. Constant dissatisfaction. My, happy, my unhappiness is due to what others have or have not done for me. But they should have or shouldn't have influenced. There's a crowd or a powerful group of people that are around me. They've empowered my stand. Ungrateful people do not make a stand on their own. They, are, they make a stand along with other folks. Principled people will make a stand on their own. You'll see that in many times, many places in the Word of God. Truth is convenient. It's not constant for people that are ungrateful. Truth is convenient. It's not constant. When you are a grateful person, truth is constant. It is always the truth. I may not understand all the truth, but the truth is the truth, and I'm always learning it. That's one of the big differences that is there. <clears throat> For the ungrateful, they are temperamental. Their joy will swing from uh, ex one extreme to another. They get joyful, right, to anger over a single matter. People that are grateful, their happiness may sway, but their joy endures. They're controlled conscience for ungrateful people. They know when behavior... I'm sorry, they control their conscience. They, uh, they know when behavior is not accepted and will hide it when necessary, which means they have a conscience so they just control it. People that are grateful are spirit-controlled. They don't control their conscience. They let the spirit control them. They are uh, People that are ungrateful are, are self-centered, Everything comes back to being about them. Conversations, viewpoints, 
everything comes back to being about them. The people that are grateful, they're kingdom-centered. What benefits the kingdom? So these are some of the differences we saw here over in Second Chronicles. I wanted you to wanted to read chapter 22 and verse 10 here just to begin with. This is the story of a king who was brought to power and was uh, pulled out of uh, a ring of execution. The uh, queen uh, had uh, usurped the throne and she, uh, she saw an opportunity. And so in, in doing that, she killed all of the sons so she could take the throne. How, how corrupt do you have to be that you go and you kill all the, all the sons so that you can have the, the throne? But as long as there was a male child, they were a threat to her being the ruler. We looked at her a long, a long time ago, uh, way back uh, about two years ago, I guess it was, when we were looking at uh, what happens to people that usurp thrones. And we looked at her more. We're not looking at her so much in this one. We're looking at some other things. But here in verse 10, now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. And Jehosh- Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. So Jehoshabeth, uh, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that, he, so that she did not kill him. And he was hidden with them in the house of God for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. Now, what this gives me a picture of is that the sons were murdered, and it was not a mass event. We gathered all the sons into a room, and one by one, we began to kill them. Can you imagine the horror that was was in that that, uh, area? This is inside the house there. It doesn't seem to be it was outside, because you don't want to do all this in the uh, visibility with everybody. But this is what she had done. People can get so focused on getting power, they don't care how they get it. Anyone who assumes power in the wrong way, anybody assumes power in this, in this particular way, the way she did, they do not care about the land. They do not care about the people of the land. They only care about themselves and what they can gain. This is not only true of her. This is true of every single person in history who has ever usurped a throne. They only care for themselves. The people who have taken the throne even reluctantly we look back at our country. George Washington very reluctantly took the, the headship of the country. They wanted to make him king. He refused. He said, no, we're not going to be ruled by a king. And so they, they wanted to make him president until he died. He said, no, he would not do that. He was, you want people in power who really don't want power. If you have people that are in power who really want it, they're the ones that are going to get corrupted. You want to get the ones that are reluctant. The ones that say, I'll do this if there's no one else that's uh, better equipped. But this is not how she was. So Joash was a year old because she reigns for six years. And in verse 1 of chapter 24, Joash was seven years old when he became king. So if you want to put this into perspective, uh, my granddaughter turns nine. So she's two years older. Can you imagine that the, uh, we have a king over here in, in this country, and the king dies, and Lissy is made, made the ruler. Now she's two years, she got two years on him. 
I'd use Chenzo. Chenzo's, he's going to turn six. He only has a year to go. So one more year for Chenzo, he would be king. According to this. Can you imagine the country being run by this? Now, what you have to understand here is, and this is not in the Scripture. You won't find this written in the Scripture. But if you, as a person of the land, are going to accept a seven-year-old boy as your king, how bad does it have to be? It has to be pretty bad under this lady. Again, she usurped the throne. She killed people to get it. People that are going to do that, they're only running the country for what it can get me. And the rest of the country saw that. And in six years, she took it from whatever prosperity they had, and they t- she took it all away because she wants to funnel it to herself. So Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebiah of Beersheba, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. That's probably one of the more well-known verses of the stories of, out of this story. And Jehoiada took two wives for him, and he had sons and daughters. So, now Jehoiada is made out to be the hero of this, this story, but you will uh, uh, take a look that without his wife, Jehoshabeth, this doesn't happen. She's the one who took him out of the group from being murdered. She's the one who brings him home. Now, I don't know how this is going to be. We're going to have to watch the videotape when we get to heaven. (laughs) But it went something like this. She comes home with a baby, one-year-old baby. Uh, Hi, hon. Um, What we got here? Well, uh, (laughs) funny story. (laughs) We're not really that funny. Uh, well, the queen, you know, she's usurping the throne, and she was killing all the, the, the royal heirs, and so I saved him. We have to hide him. Uh, you realize if she finds out that he's here, we're, we're all dead. Uh, yeah. Now, I don't see any resistance from him going, al- going along with this, but I don't see that it was his idea. It seems to have been hers. So if we want to say that Jehoiada saved the kingdom... Well, you got to look at his wife, because it seems like she started it. And she's mentioned there in the beginning, but then he takes over, and he does uh, the things once, once he comes to the, to the throne. Now, he's got to keep showing up for work. He's the high priest. He's got to keep showing up for work every day. I don't know what she does. Maybe she doesn't have a, a, a prominent role, and she can stay home. But they have to raise a one-year-old boy to the age of seven without anyone knowing that anything is different. Can you imagine somebody coming, one of the neighbors coming by and saying, Hey, uh, where'd he come from? Oh, he's just a nephew. You know, he's just over here for a little visit. Nothing big. Oh, okay. And they keep staying longer. Well, what happened? Well, you know, mom and dad, they had something go on, or maybe mom and dad died, or whatever it might be, make up some kind of a story that people will, will accept. And uh, we just keep on going on. Now, here's the thing. The queen mother, even though she's related to this, this young lad, lad, doesn't even know he's missing. Doesn't even know that she missed him in the killing. That's how close she was to all the heirs. But Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Now, we all know the story that Joash does not stay with the things of God, then he leaves. Does this mean that Joash was never sincere. 
I've all, I heard this in my Baptist upbringing. I heard this because, you know, in the Baptist church, most of the Baptist churches, and I will say at least the Baptist church that we were in and the Baptist school that I went to in the King's College, I can speak for them. I can't speak for all the other Baptist groups that are out there because there's something like over 200 uh, Baptist groups out there in the, in the country. There's not just a couple of them. There's, there's quite a few. Uh, but for the ones that we were involved in, they had this once saved, always saved mentality. So if you were a person and you were in church and you were growing in the things of God, but then you fell away, their viewpoint was you were never saved. Because you couldn't have been saved and then wandered away. Because once you're saved, you're always saved. That was, in other words, they had room for backsliding and such things like that. But that's how they, they would look at it. If you wandered away, your salvation was never genuine. So do we take that idea with him that his, that his change was never genuine? I don't take that. I think some people can go through some real genuine change and then change back. Change back. I remember something that uh, the Lord uh, witnessed to Brother Hagin about one of his relatives who was on their, their deathbed. said, they're the most ready they've ever been in their life to come home. Which means if, you, if he stays down here, he may go back to the part of not being as ready. He said, let him come. So Brother Brother Hagin, that was the time that Brother Hagin said, all right, I'll let him go on one condition. <laughs> that he regains consciousness and leaves a good testimony for the rest of the family. And he regained consciousness, gave a good testimony to the rest of the family, and then became unconscious again, and then uh, eventually died. It was, a, it was quite a story. You may remember it, but that's not our topic here. But he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. In the sight of the Lord, he did what was right. Now, he had somebody instructing him, somebody helping him out, but I, I don't necessarily think that his conversion here isn't genuine. I think it really is. In the same way, people can very much be very genuinely grateful for things you have done in their life and may become very genuinely grateful for the things God has done in their life and then become ungrateful. We want to look at that process. How do we get there? How did that happen? So, I put in your outline that there is the power of good company. As long as Jehoiada was around, Joash did what was right. When he was gone, that uh, good company went away. Sometimes good company is removed from us, like in death. That's what happened here. And sometimes we remove ourselves. Remember Lot? Lot removed himself from good company, and it had a terrible effect on him. Sometimes we remove ourselves from the, the influences that are helping us stay on the, the right way, the right path. If Jehoiada had outlived Joash, Joash probably would have followed the Lord all his days. He needed that, that influence. Some people need more external influence that, than others. It just depends on, on, on what you do. You know, just in the, in the community that I get in, the, uh, the world of people who like to, to run, there's different, different people on that. There are some people who without the group won't run at all. They need other people. They come out to group runs. They, they run with friends because if they don't, they don't run. They, don't, they won't go out there. They won't do it. Some people do the same thing with workouts. I tend to be on the other side of the, the script. I don't care who's going out with me. You can go. You can not go. I'm going. That isn't, that isn't the thing that motivates me. That's not the thing that moves on. 
but uh, you all, we have to find out with every area what is it that helps us. In our Christian walk, we're told you don't go at this alone. No matter how much you think you can do it alone, go, don't go at it alone. I had a conversation with John and I were running one time, and I was telling him, you know, when, when I was a kid in high school, uh, my mom said, put Steve in a room by himself, he'd be happy. And I've told you that's part of it before. Um, I was very, very good at being on my own. I told him that's probably how I got into running because you just run by yourself. He said, oh, you don't like to run with people? <laughs> I, said, I said, no. It's, I said, I've learned since then that there were, I learned in college there's a benefit with running with other people. They make you go faster. They help you to do some things. But I didn't need that for motivation, but I needed to get along. In the Christian circles, you don't necessarily need other people to stay saved, though it helps. But they will drive you on, and they will push you on. And without that, it does, it does hinder you. You need to have a contact with people, talking to them on the phone, staying with them, uh, just whatever you can do. Just don't, don't go at it on your own. Boy, we have so many ways that we can do it now. We can watch things on YouTube. You can uh, listen to things on podcasts. You can uh, text people and call people and all sorts of ways that we can stay in touch and keep people helping us to be moved on. But uh, Joe Ash just seems to be one of those folks that if he would have had the good influences around, it would have been better. Now, it happened after this that Joash set his heart on repairing the house of the Lord. We're reading this part of the story because it's going to show us something real important. Then he gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah and gather from all Israel money to repair the house of, the, of God from year to year and see that you do it quickly. However, the Levites did not do it quickly. So the king called Jehoiada the chief priest and said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the collection according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord and the assembly of Israel, for the tabernacle of witness? For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken into the house of God and had also presented all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord to the Baals. Then at the king's command, they made a chest and set it outside the gate of the house of the Lord, and they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to bring to the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, had imposed on the Israel in the wilderness. Now, what he's painting here is one aspect of the bad picture that she left for the land. She had gone in to the house of God and taken out all the things that were used in the worship for God and used those things in the worship for Baal. Now, if you were a servant of God, how would that affect you? That would hurt you, wouldn't it? It affects you greatly. Especially since uh, in, in Israel, they had the temple. This is the main spot. This is some place that everybody came to every year for different aspects of the feast and so forth. And this is one aspect of what we saw. Then all the leaders and all the people rejoiced, brought their contributions and put them into the chest until all had given. And so it was at that time when the chest was brought to the king's official by the hand of the Levites, and when they saw that there was much money, that the king's scribe and the high priest officer came and emptied the chest, and took it, and returned it to its place. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. Now what you'll see here is they're having a hard time getting the collection from the people brought in so they can get all these things uh, uh, purchased again, made again, crafted again, and, and restore the house of, of, of Israel. So they put this chest out there, and the people just came, and they just put all kinds of money in it. 
So you can see with the people, there's a great desire to restore this worship. With Jehoiada, do you think Jehoiada has a desire to restore worship? I mean, he taught Joash and the things of God. Everything that Joash knows about God came from him. And we see from Joash that he very much wants this to happen. So you have Joash, who's the king of the land. You have Jehoiada, who's the high priest of the land. And you had the people who want to, but it's not getting done. If it's not getting done, where's the stop? If the head of the land wants it, if the high priest wants it, if the people want it, why is it not getting done? You see, when we went over this a couple years ago, there are people in the land, in the leadership, that don't want this to happen. And so they stopped it. And they kept making it not work, making things not happen. And Jehoiada would go out and say, come on, let's get this thing going. And did, did you get this done? Well, no. And we're talking about Levites and priests. That means within the ranks of those who serve God, there is an, under, uh, an, an overwhelming uh, majority who don't want the service of God returned. Isn't that amazing? These are the people that are working in the house of God. It's important that you know this is the atmosphere that he's working in. This man is trying to bring revival into the land and many of the priests and the Levites are against it and are trying to hold it up. The only reason we don't is because we bypass them. We put the chest before the people and the people came and brought them and they couldn't do anything about stopping it then. So now it's going, going about and it's happening. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. The king and Jehoiada gave it to those who did the work of the service of the house of the Lord. And they hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord. And also those who worked in iron and bronze to restore the house of the Lord. They didn't fi have a hard time finding people to do the work. They didn't have a hard time finding the people to get the money. To give the money. They just had a hard time with the people. It seems to be more Levites and priests and probably some of the other leaders of the land. So the workmen, I've made a note on this before when we went, went through this passage, the deep state did not start with the United States. It has been going on in many, many other countries. There is a under, there's an undercurrent of people that are in places of office that do not serve God, but will give the appearance that they serve God so they can be in the position to stop whatever is going forward for God. Not just in this country. You can go through history and, and find it in other places as well. About uh, Middle Ages is really easy to find it. But it's, this is going on back here in the Old Testament. So the workmen labored, verse 13, and the work was completed by them. They restored the house of God to its original condition and reinforced it. I mean, do you remember the original condition of the house of God? That's quite a feat. When they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada. They made, <clears throat> they made from it articles for the house of the Lord, articles for serving, and offerings, spoons, and vessels of gold and silver, and they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. What does that tell you right there? All the days of Jehoiada. When Jehoiada dies, what stops? The sacrifices. Why? 
because there's an awful lot of Levites and priests who are not up for this. Isn't that amazing? I, I, it just shocks me every time I go through the story. There are people who have the office of Levite, office of priest, who, and are out there doing the sacrifices because it's required of them right now. They're doing the sacrifice. They don't want to do it. And as soon as Jehoiada goes, they, they put a stop to this. All that work to restore the house of God, and they put a stop to it. All the days of Jehoiada the priest, these things went on. He set his heart on repairing the temple. That seems pretty intense to me. He didn't just do this as a show. He set his heart. This is, this is something that is genuinely in Joash. So we looked at the things that would probably have stopped this. There were probably officials there that would do this. Now you'll see this in, t- in today's day. Churches that are run by boards. Constantly you will see the board stand in the way of, of what God wants done. How many times do you hear of, of disputes on boards? Heathen people on a board deciding what can and what can't be done. What should and shouldn't be done. Well, we can't preach that. We can't teach that. Well, we're not going to use that Bible verse anymore. We're not going to use that passage. We're going to use this translation. We're more at ease with this translation than we are with that one over here. And the board's deciding all these different things. There's no call on their life. I've seen many a church go downhill because of a board. God never made the church to be run like a corporation. God made the church to be run like a church. But there's a lot of places out there you'll, you'll see. And uh, uh, it's just, it's backwards. It's wrong. But you'll see there, uh, I, I don't know how many churches that you have been in, and some of the, uh, the deacon boards and the elder boards and the people that are there, I mean heathen. Heathen is out there in the, in the week cussing, doing all sorts of stuff, practicing things, uh, doing immoral things, and then come back on church on Sunday. Because this is their position of power. Now, not all churches are run that way. Thank God. But that's the same kind of a thing where if God wants to do a move in the church, He can't because the people undercut it that are in there that have the position of power. Verse, uh, let's see. Look at verse 14. Again, when they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king Jehoiada, and they made it from articles from the house of the Lord, articles for serving and offering spoons and vessels, gold and silver, and they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually. That means day in and day Constantly, these offerings are being made. Constantly, people are brought into service. Constantly before God, God is looking down upon these offerings being offered by people whose heart is not in it who don't serve God, that only give the appearance of it. What do you think that does to God? God's still working with them. In verse 15, But Jehoiada grew old and was full of days, and he died. He was 130 years old when he died. And these folks, they just sat around waiting to wait for Jehoiada to go. But Jehoiada, he lived quite a life. He risked his life for Joash to preserve him. He risked it again when he brought Joash 
out and said, here is the king, here is the true king. And he showed who he was and what he did. And when they brought him out there, his, his own life was at risk again. His wife's life, his house, his kids, everything about it was at risk. And he did it. He preserved this, this man. All this time, he, he, he raised him. He wasn't his own. He raised him. He taught him the things of God. How grateful would you be to someone who had laid their life out this way for you? And as you got older and you found out even more, oh, wow, so much he risked for me. And as you get older yet, as you become king, wow, he may have just stop and said, Jehoiada, you, you could have been killed for what you did for me. Now, I know, but you were worth it. We, want, we wanted to make sure that this was preserved, that you were preserved. So it's not something that just happened. It's something that continually went on, and he was continually uh, mindful of. But he grew old, and eventually he died. That may have been a very sad day for Joash. There may have been some mourning on his part. I'm sure that there was. This is the guy who raised him. He was basically his father. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and his house. There are those people who are great influences of others. They are great. They, you look at some people that have gone through the, the days. Billy Graham has been a great influencer of, of, of others. Uh, uh, Brother Hagen was a great influencer of, of, of many different people. You look at uh, Fred Price before he passed away, great influencer of so many people. And uh, you can go back to the years, people who died before that. Uh, just these folks, great influences over many people. So there are those folks that are great influencers over many, and then there are those who are greatly influenced. It's not a bad thing to be one who is greatly influenced as long as those that influence you are good. If the ones that are influencing you are not good, well, it's not going to turn out so well for you. So we're going to take a look at the, how things change here in verse 17. Now after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. Therefore they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers, and served wooden images and idols, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of the trespass, yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. So Jehoiada dies. Joash is probably very sad. There are many leaders in there. There are many priests and Levites, many people in the country who gave a face they pretended to be sad. Oh, this is such a, such a terrible loss in presence of other people. And then when they get behind closed doors, we knew this day was coming. Ha <laughs> ha, it's here. All right. Now, we can't jump on this right away. We've got to let a little bit of time go. And so they let them die. They let the morning time go on by. And then they come and they said, all right, I think now is the time. They probably were, were throwing some things out there to, 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 to the king, saying to him, you know, look at the, I want you to take a look at the land. Look at the people. Look at the things that are going on. Maybe they use some of those people that were in positions of power to say, hey, these things will happen if you go this way. They were doing some things to, to uh, entice him. And so 
After the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah, verse 17, came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. If you listen to them, it means you stop listening to something else. Have you ever had that happen? I mean, with, with grandkids, this happens all the time. You know, one grandchild is speaking, and then the other one comes up. And they want to speak. And they want to say something. You know, Lumi comes up. The most important thing is right now what Lumi has to say. doesn't matter that, that Lissy and I have been here talking about this matter for a little while. Lumi comes up, and, and she's demanding the time. And sometimes, just a minute. I see you know, Chenzo, he's up at an age where you can say, hold on a minute. Oh, okay. And he'll wait there. <laughs> and and uh, but not, Lumi's not quite to that that spot yet, so you have to try and find other ways to do it. But it's you can't listen to this one fully and listen to this one. You have to tune in your ears to hear this, or you tune in your ears to hear this. And you you're, you're one or the other. You're better on the phone with somebody, and you're listening to the conversation, but your other ear is open, and then something happens at work, at the house, somewhere around, and a conversation, and something comes up, and then you want to take this ear and tune in to this conversation over here. What happens to this ear? What'd you say? I didn't get that. <laughs> yeah, you missed it. Why? Because I was tuned in over to this one over here. When you listen to one thing and then turn to listen to something else, you have to stop listening to that one thing. You have to turn that off. If you have headphones on. You guys have headphones on when you're playing a game or listening to music. If you have the headphones on, somebody comes up to talk to you, what do you have to do? You got to pull them off so that I can listen and that I can hear. In order to listen, in order for him to listen to these new people coming in, in order for him to listen to them, he has to stop listening to something else. This is the beginning of the change. The change comes in as long as you listen to the same things, there won't be the change. But the problem comes in is that we listen to others. How many times have you heard a parent? How many times have you heard a relative? Somebody talk about, well, you know, my, my son, my daughter, things were going good, they were growing up just fine, and then they kind of fell in with the wrong crowd. Anybody ever heard that story? Fell in with the wrong crowd. And why did they suddenly change their behavior? Because they were listening to the wrong crowd. As they turned their attention and listened to this crowd, they began to value the things that this crowd valued. They began to do the things that this crowd did instead of the things they had done before. They dressed the way this crowd says to dress, not the way they have been dressing. They speak the way this crowd speaks, not the way they had been speaking. They change behaviors to line up more with this crowd because that's who they're listening to. This is what happened here. Therefore they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols. The house of God that they just put all their finances into, rebuilt, brought it back to its original splendor, and then the king gets people to... They know if we want to turn the country, we've got to turn the king. Got to turn the king. So they come in to turn the king. As long as the king was going in the direction of God, the country was going in the direction of God. You got to turn the king. 
So they came in to turn the king. They turned the king. Once we turned the king, everything began to fall into place. They left the house of the Lord God of their fathers, served wooden images and idols, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. They don't remember that they went after this before and things got so bad in the land. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord and they testified against them, but they would not listen. So God didn't just leave them out there on their own. People were sent. Hey, don't you remember? These are the th- This is what God said. God said if you would do these things, these things would happen. You were doing those things. Prosperity was coming. Things were changing in the land. Things were getting better. Don't you see how good things have been? No, no. And they became ungrateful for what had occurred. Josiah, I'm sorry, I keep saying, Joash became ungrateful for all the things that had been done, that God had done with him, how God preserved him. Became ungrateful, and they turned their back on God. Can you imagine the first day that Joash does not go into the house of God to worship? but steps into a house of Baal. Can you imagine that? What does that feel like on the inside? I mean, surely he's not that far removed. Surely his his spirit is, is torn up about this. But he stays with it. He keeps going. A king or dictator can turn the direction of a country on their own. Now, in our country, we don't have the kings and dictators and stuff like that. We have a president. Now, president can have great influence in many areas. We just saw recently in the area of abortion that judges were appointed that uh, allowed that thing to be overturned. And, uh, you know, people are out there screaming about the abortion thing and all these people are going to die, all these babies are going to die. They try and make people believe that anything, nothing changed in our country. Not a single thing changed in our country when that thing was overturned. All it did was no longer is it a federal mandate that it must be allowed. Now it goes back to the states. That's how it's always supposed to be. It's supposed to be in the state's hands. The state is supposed to decide. I would like it much better if we, you know, if we're like Israel and the Word of God was our <laughs> right and wrong. But that's not how we live. That's not where this country is, is at. But it's supposed to be in for the states. All the Supreme Court did was return it back to that. They didn't take anything away. People are out there saying, a constitutional right was removed. There is not a single thing in the Constitution that says anything about anyone having a right to an abortion. But it does say you have a right to bear arms, and which one are they going after? How is it that you can bring back a supposed right that's not mentioned while taking away other rights that are directly mentioned, you shall not do this? Gets me, gets me upset when I do that. But we have, uh, we've had people that were put in place and they appointed judges, and these, these judges overturned that, that decision. There were, uh, a president can have laws signed, and right now Joe, he wants to go out there and he wants to do some executive orders to, uh, to try and bring that out. You cannot do that. That's not something that you can do. But people won't, you know, the, the people in the media, other people will, people in the media, they won't say anything about that. That's not how you, you can run a country. You need to have a law that passes Congress and passes the House and then gets signed by the President. But uh, we just want to bypass some of those things, and that's, uh, that's not right. People want to say that a President doesn't influence the price of fuel. It's amazing that when they have a President in the media, I'm speaking about, when they have a President in office that they don't like, he's responsible for high fuel costs. 
when they have a president in office that they do like, he's not responsible for high fuel costs. Well, it's interesting to notice, if you go back to the days of Clinton, Clinton was the first one that I remember, may not be the first one, but the first one I remember, who made a, a somewhat of a war against oil. It wasn't huge, but there was a definite uh, taking away of leases, taking away of, uh, he didn't want that, he thought saw it as a dirty fuel, or people were, were funding him saw it as a dirty fuel, and so that was taken out, and prices went up a little bit. Um, and then the Bushes came in, and uh, he, you know, he's supposed to be an oil man, so they all blamed him. Well, he wanted this, but prices went down, but oil was, uh, was uh, pursued more. And then under Obama, he made a war against oil, coal, and natural gas. And he even told people, I remember his, his speech when he said it, you can build yourself a coal fire plant if you want, but it'll break you. That's what he actually said. He wanted to close every one of them down. He wanted to close the coal mines down, and he succeeded in closing a lot of those things down. And energy prices went up, energy prices all over the board. And then when Trump came in, Trump says, no, that's not how you run it. And so he opened things up on the oil. You can go back and look. He opened up the leases. He, opened, he took away the red tape. Coal was okay. Oil was okay. And we want, from a place of needing to be importing oil, to one of the three top oil producers in the world. It was Russia, um, the uh, uh, guys in the Middle East, and us. And I think for a lot of it, we were, we were over them. I'm not sure if we hit the number one spot. I think I heard that we might have, have hit the number one spot. But we were one of the top producers for, for oil, for natural gas. We were exporting gasoline. And the prices for all those things went down. As soon as Joe goes into, uh, into the, the chair there, and he sits, and he said one of the first things he says was, we're closing it all down. And he closed down the pipeline, he closed down the oil drilling, he closed down the leases, he closed down a whole lot, and now all of a sudden he's over there trying to beg the Middle East to send us some more oil. How do we go from that in two years? So don't say that the president doesn't have any influence. The president cannot influence Exxon from what they set their price at for gasoline but they can very much influence the supply. And we have seen that in all these different presidencies, and the people who want to deny it want to deny it because there's a president in office that they like, or they'll bring it out when there's a president in office that they don't. The truth is the truth. Whether you like it or not, it's the truth. A president can influence supply. If you influence supply, that's going to um, cause a, a problem. Diesel is having a problem right now. That's where a lot of our transportation stuff is. I don't know how you know about this, but there is a particular additive that they add to diesel to help make it a cleaner fuel. And um, I would probably gross you out if I told you where it came from. But then you must have this additive added to the fuel. If you're really curious about it, ask me after the service and I'll tell you. But you must have this additive added to the fuel or the fuel can't be burnt. And so there's a shortage on diesel because they can restrict that easier than they can the diesel fuel. So all they've got to do is cut off that supply of that additive, and therefore there's not as much diesel, so now you've got truck drivers stranded all over, and um, we're all seeing you know, people coming back from the stores. We don't have as much stuff in there. And, uh, you know, should you panic? Well, if you see stuff in the store, get it up. Pick it up. It's no big deal. Joseph stored stuff. He got ready for something that was coming up. And make sure you got enough for, for you. Have some stuff to give away, too. Be, go, go out there and get it. That's all right. Don't feel like, well, um, I feel like I'm not in faith. If I, no. If God told Joseph, pick some stuff up, pick it up. 
He told them to put it in the storehouses. He put it in the storehouses. Don't be afraid to go out there and do it. Just don't fear the things that are coming up. Spirit of God will tell you what kind of things you need to do. And, uh, and he'll, he'll help you with that. But things like prices of fuel, cost of electricity, all these things are, are done through regulations, done through energy policies. If you're, if you're going to get all your electricity done through uh, this so-called green energy, you're not going to have as much electricity because they don't produce a whole lot. You cannot count on wind ever. If the wind is too light, it doesn't make any. If the wind is too strong, they've got to shut them down. Plus all the birds and things like that that they kill in the, the meantime. They just don't, they, you, you can't count on it. If the wind is too strong, you don't get a whole lot more energy. They have to shut it down so that it's not working. Solar, uh, it seems like a great idea, and solar can provide some, some help, but you cannot depend on it. Just going out to California and see how well that green energy is working for them. And look at all the roaming brownouts that are going on out there because they don't have enough electricity. And then they want you to buy an electric car. I made this note for myself. If they have no influence on the flow of goods, if the government, if the president, the people in charge have no influence on the flow of goods, why is there a cabinet member in charge of it? I don't know how they get by that. He's not doing a very good job, but... Now, there are people around you, and probably right now, who are seeking for an opportunity to come to you and get you to turn from your way. Understand, these people know they have to hide. They know they have to conceal who they are and what they want. They know how to say the right things. They know how to be a deceiver. They're of their father, the deceiver. There are people probably in your life right now that are looking for an opportunity to get you to be ungrateful for something. Something that you were very grateful for, we're going to get you to turn and become ungrateful. And this is what they did to the king. The king listened to him. That means he stopped listening to something else. He stopped listening to the word of God. He stopped listening to the words of Jehoiada. And he ceased to continue and what he heard from Jehoiada. Proverbs 4 and verse 20, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. It's important. You've got to keep the word of God in your... You've got to keep it in front of you. It's got to stay there. It's important that we meditate on the word. We post uh, teachings for you on Monday, and uh, I spend time trying to find people who teach the word. I try and expand it. I try and get other people in there. I was out there this week. I was listening to two or three other people that have never, I've never added onto our list. I try, and I tried to get through them. I couldn't get through their sermons. They don't get into the Word. They don't teach the Word. They're teaching about other things. And there may be some benefit for that. And, and I'm not saying that they're uh, unholy and ungodly or anything like that. I'm saying when I'm, when I'm looking for things to put out there, there's got to be some Word in it. Somebody's got to be preaching some word. That's the only thing that's going to help you. My ideas don't help you. My stories don't help you. What helps you is, is the word of God that's in there. So we've got to make sure that the word of God is in there. So I listen for people, look for people that are, are preaching the word. That are, are, are te- I've got some other things too. There's a couple of uh, other parameters I get to make sure that they're easy to listen to. That, uh, they don't, that some people I listen to, they drive me crazy. They drive me, I mean Speakers. Well, um, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
It's like, holy cow, if you don't stop saying that. <laughs> Speak with what you want to say. Now the prophets are dispatched, but they wouldn't listen to them. God said he tried to bring them back. He tried to bring them back to the word. Look, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. And they shut it down. This is what they do. Verse 20. Let's take a look at it. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, who stood above the people, and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, He has also forsaken you. That's important words. This is the words that he got from God to deliver to the people. Look at what he says here. How? Let me read it. Read it right, right from it. Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord? How many people today in churches today transgress the commandments of the Lord? The Lord says, don't do this. Well, yeah, but that was before. I can do it. The Lord says, do this. Well, I don't really need to do that because... Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Cannot. Because you have forsaken the Lord... He also has forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but killed his son. And as he died, he said, The Lord look on it and repay. How many of you can line up more with him? Than people who say, oh, like, like, like Stephen, don't let this be held against them. How many of you are saying, uh-uh, no, <laughs> bring it all down upon them. <laughs> yeah, some of us want to line up more with this. But you see, when, the, when people get all super holy on you, they don't quote him. They quote Stephen. But look at what he said. The Lord look on it and repay. I want the Lord to look down on here and him decide. So he took at the command of the king. They looked to the king. King, shall we kill him? And the king says, Yes. Now look at this. This is the son of Jehoiada. Where was, where was uh, the king raised? In Jehoiada's house. How often did the son come by Jehoiada's house? How much did the son have to do with helping Jehoiada grow up? How much did the son have interactions with, with the king? How, how often was this going on? What kind of a rapport was there? What kind of a, of a thing? All those, that time he was there in the house. Even if he was an older son and came home to visit, but if he was there still growing up. I mean... How does that happen? It says, Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but killed his son, and he died. Didn't just kill him, stoned him. That is a horrible death. That's uh, In some places where they do, they bury you, except for your head, and then they throw stones at your head. But whether they buried him or they just left him out there in the... And he opened through stones at him until he was dead. Anybody ever been hit by a stone? You don't like it? You've been hit by a stone? I have too. I didn't like it. But we're talking not little tiny stones. 
We're talking big stones, and these things do some damage. Now, he may remember the action of what his, his uh, father had done to him. He may remember the action of Jehoiada the priest, but he does not remember the kindness. There are many times, folks, that you have done things for people in kindness. They remember the action, but they don't remember the kindness. This is where the enemy comes in. This is how he begins to turn you. You remember the action, but did they really do that out of the kindness of the heart, or did they have an ulterior motive? Oh, I bet they did this so they can get this. And all of a sudden, we're no longer grateful. We're ungrateful. No, you just did that because you wanted this from me. You just did that because... And we come up with a reason. How many have ever been a victim of that? You did something really kind, really, really nice for somebody, and then after a while, they looked at it like you just despised it. And you're wondering, how can you despise it? And they began to accuse you of having motives or feelings that you never had, never even thought of. This is how he begins to turn it. And this is how he turns it to God, too. Did God really do that out of the kindness of his heart? No, no, no. God did this because he's trying to, and he'll, he'll sell it to you in a way that you believe, oh, man, God meant my harm in doing that. And then you, he turns you into a place where you don't see the kindness in what God does. And then pretty soon, you don't care about God at all. He begins to turn. But it starts in the area of gratefulness. This is where it turned with him. He did not remember the kindness that his father had done. We begin to think of these motives. They did it just for themselves. They just wanted a, a favor. They just wanted a favor with me. Well, it wasn't really as good as it was made out to be. I mean, it was nice and all, but I mean, they gave me a brand, a brand new car, but that car was a limit. That car caused me nothing but problems. It wouldn't hold, the tires wouldn't hold in the winter, sliding all over the place. Two main reasons people become ungrateful for what God has done. Two main reasons. You might be able to find some others. I'm giving you two main reasons that I see. First off, they see what God has done or asks as too much. Jeroboam. It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. That's too much of a thing. You're just going to have to, you can just worship God by right, right here in town. Just go over to these guys. These, these, uh, these images right here. The Pharisees. You shouldn't heal on the Sabbath. That's too much. That's too much. You should not be healing on the Sabbath. Hey, but the rebellion against Moses. You take on too much for yourself. That's one way that he will get you to be ungrateful. Too much. You have too much. You take too much. You require too much. You ask too much. And once he gets us over to that point where we think, well, God just asked so much for me, I just can't, no one can do it. I can't do it, nobody can do it. It's just too much. That's one way that he'll get you to go. The other way is too little. Abraham, how will you bless me seeing I go childless? You have not given me an heir. You have not given me enough, God. Israel, constantly before God, not enough food. Not enough water, not enough help, not enough preservation. You brought us out here to die. Everything God did was inadequate. Everything God did, it was not enough. It was too little. How about Martha? 
You weren't here. You weren't here. You could have been here. You weren't here. Hey, but David and Bathsheba. God said to David after the sin with Bathsheba, he said it this way in 2 Samuel 12, 8. I'm just going to read it for you. You can write it down if you want. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. The only way that David fell into the thing with Bathsheba is because he felt like he didn't have enough and what God had blessed him with was too little. There are people in your lives right now who the enemy has there just to jump on any opportunity like a tragedy, a crisis, anything that causes you to question God and to see what he has done or asked as too much or too little. There are people in your lives, they are disguised, the devil has disguised them, he has, he has had them in there so that they are they're saying the right things, they seem to be on the side of, of things for God, but as soon as things turn, well, I just think that's too much for God to ask of you. I think that's too little that God has done for you. And they're in there to, to help you out. How many of you know that if you want to make a faith stand for anything, health, finances, whatever it might be, there are certain people in your life you need to leave out of it. That if you bring it up to them, what are they going to do? Oh, that's asking you out too much. Oh, that's, no, that's not going to work. Oh, no, you can't do that. And they will have reasons for it. Don't, don't let that happen. The truth becomes corrupted in their minds. The truth becomes corrupted in their minds. This is what you have to be on guard about. Truth. The enemy is always trying to corrupt the truth that you have, the truth that you know. Don't let him do it. Don't let him corrupt it. Stay with the truth. That's why you've got to keep getting back to the Word because there are forces around you that are constantly trying to tell you the Word doesn't say that. That's not for today. God doesn't heal anymore. God doesn't bless anymore. Prosperity is not a thing that God wants you to have. Constantly these things are coming. And there are people in your life that will rise up and at the right opportunity will begin to say, say those things. Yeah, I just tried to move that up too. Thank you. In John chapter 8, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And if you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We know, if we have great gratitude towards God, I know the truth is what I need. I need the truth. If I live up to the truth that I know, but I am open for God to speak something to me and say, that's not the truth. This is, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank, oh, I'm so grateful for that. Because I have an attitude of gratefulness. I have an attitude of gratitude. I want God to uh, slap me upside the, the head if he needs to. Get the truth to me. I want to adapt my behavior to the truth. That's what I want. That's what I desire. And so uh, if you get into an ungrateful spot and God comes up and slaps your head upside the head, uh, slaps you upside the head and says, hey, this is the truth. Uh-uh. Now you see, you see this with David. David had been going down a way of ungr being ungrateful. 
But when God slapped him upside the head and said, you are the man, he dropped it. He found, I, I am the man. But you see, when you go in the way of, of ungratefulness and you keep walking in that, that direction, pride will keep you from receiving and God from giving. Pride keeps us from receiving and God from giving. Don't let, don't get, let that pride get in. Because it will keep you from receiving from God and it will keep God from being able to give to you. It will keep us from making corrections. I won't make the corrections anymore because my pride keeps me away from it and thereby get off course. Just like he did. He got off course. The king went off in another direction and he got off course so far that when he was presented with the truth from the son of the man who raised him, who risked his life for him, he had him killed. At the king's word. The word of God is real specific. He wants you to know the king is the one who gave the command. It was not the, the attitude of the people. The king gave the command. Verse 23. So it happened in the spring of the year that the army of Syria came up against him and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders of the people and among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. And uh, make sure that I... Did I copy this from another? Am I reading from yours? Okay. Making sure I had it, had it in there. Because I did pull another passage in there. I didn't know if I gave that to you. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, but the Lord delivered a very great army into their hand because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. So they executed judgment against Joash. So Joash comes with a bigger army, but the smaller army defeats him. How many times did God deliver Israel with a smaller army against the bigger army? But this time, it's flipped. And when they had withdrawn from him, for they left him severely wounded, his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiada the priest and killed him on his bed, so he died. And they buried him in the city of David, and they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. There are, these are the ones who conspired against him. Zabad, the son of Shemeth, the Ammonitus, and Jehazabad, the son of Shimrith, the Moabitess. Now, now these people, they didn't take the throne. They did not kill him to take the throne, like others have done places that we looked. They didn't try and usurp the throne, do anything. They killed him because what you did isn't right. You're already wounded. We're going to finish the job off because what you did was right. We remember what you did against Jehoiada, and that was not right. Now, I'm not telling you they were right in doing it unless they had a command from God to do it, but that's what they did. Now, concerning his sons and the many oracles about him and the repairing of the house of God, indeed, they are written in the annals of the book of the kings Then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. So they did not seem to kill for power, but they did seem to kill to remove the evil. Now, summing up here, I want to give you this. The difference between gratefulness and ungratefulness. I want you to see the difference between because the devil has to get you out of a place of being grateful. Grateful for what God has blessed you with. Grateful for the understanding that you have of his word. Grateful for the kids that you have. Grateful for the spouse that you have. Grateful for the neighbors that you have. Grateful for the house that you have. Grateful for the car that you've got. Grateful for what God has done in your life. Grateful for what God has brought you through. Grateful for the, the people that he's brought in your life that have influenced you. Constantly, all these things... He wants to take you from a place of being grateful for those things to the place where you become ungrateful and you see fault. I don't like these neighbors. I don't know why I'm here with these people. 
I don't like these kids. Who ordered these kids anyway? I don't like these relatives. These relatives, I don't understand why I was born into this group. These, uh, these are terrible people. I don't like the friends I have. Every friend I've got, they're all they're, they're lousy friends. I don't like the job I've got. They don't pay me enough. I don't like the people I work with. I don't like the boss. You get somebody with an attitude like that, the problem is not the people that are around them. The problem is inside of them. It's that ungrateful attitude. He's going to try and get you to that spot. What is the difference between one who is grateful and one who is ungrateful? First off, the difference between, I, I don't become grateful. Understand this. I don't become grateful. That is huge. You've got to understand this one point. I don't become grateful. I realize I am in a position to be grateful. I don't become grateful. I just realize I'm in a position to be grateful. Have you ever had somebody mysteriously do something beneficial, good for you? You didn't know who did it. You didn't even know that anybody did anything. As far as you know, just something good happened. There's just something good that was happening. There was a show. How many of you ever watched that show? Um, oh, I almost forgot the name of it. Uh, Last Man Standing. I love Last Man Standing. That's one of my favorite shows that was on TV. One of the episodes that they had in this was uh, the, the guy who owns the whole store. The guy who owns the whole store chain, um, Mr. Arizati or something like that. Something along those lines. Um, great character, great part. He's got all this money. And Kyle, anybody remember Kyle? Kyle is the kind of the, the brainless idiot that works around the shop, but just, you know, he's like a puppy. He just wants to do everything he can for you to help you, but he just doesn't, he's not able to think everything through. And so Mr. Avazadi, he wanted to bless him with a car. And so he came up with this scheme to get him a car. And so what the guy did was he actually went around and he heard about this, this thing about trading uh, stuff. So he traded a, a pencil for a, a lunch pail and a lunch pail for a briefcase. And he just kept going around making all these trades. And by the time he came back, he had a new car. Well, the only way he had the new car was because Mr. Arizadi uh, bought the new car for him and put it into such a way that it would come to him and he got this new car. But he never told him that he bought the car for him. And so he thinks, wow, this is just great. This is a just something that was a, a, a real blessing just came to me. But, you know, there's a lot more people out there that can be blessed more than, than me or some kind of reason like that. So he said, so I gave the car away. Mm. And the boy, he just was, oh, man. <laughs> oh, it was, it was funny. See, he didn't, he didn't know to be grateful to the man that anything happened. He just thought it happened. Sometimes the good things have happened to us. We didn't know to be grateful. I didn't need to become grateful. I just needed to be aware that good things have happened. We don't need the world out there that's not going to church and not serving God. We don't need the world to become grateful for what God has done. We need them to be aware that they're in a position to be grateful. Because all you really need to do with people like like uh, young Kyle right there, is all you do is make him aware that this happened. Aware that somebody blessed him. And once you become aware, oh, I'm so grateful that you did that. I don't become grateful. I realize I'm in a position 
to be grateful. It's a realization of what God or others have done for me to benefit me and to help me. Being grateful or ungrateful doesn't change what was done. It doesn't change anything. It only changes my attitude toward it, which impacts how I receive it. You can be grateful, you can be ungrateful. It doesn't change what God has done for us. People that are ungrateful, it doesn't change what Christ did at the cross. People that are grateful, it doesn't change what Christ did at the cross. I just realize my attitude towards it, and it changes the way I can receive it. But ungratefulness is something I become. It's formed by how I view what was done for me and my benefit from it. See, that young Kyle, he was not ungrateful for what the man had done for him and provided in his car. He didn't know that he did. But you see, when we become aware that God has done certain things for us, and I become ungrateful, well, that's not good enough. Well, that's not big enough. Well, that's not what I wanted. Well, that's not what I like. I can become ungrateful. Maybe sometime when you were a young child, or maybe you've seen a young child do this, you come up with a Christmas present, and you give them the Christmas present, and they open the present, and it's closed. Mm -hmm. And you can see on their face they're ungrateful. See, they became ungrateful. They were grateful at first when they had the present, and they're opening the present, but once they got inside and they saw it was something they really didn't care about, oh, they became ungrateful. You don't become grateful. You become ungrateful. Gratefulness is just an awareness of what has already been done. We've got to make sure we stay in that side of being aware of what God has done and don't become ungrateful. You may benefit from what was done regardless of your attitude toward it, but usually the benefit is increased and the flow uninterrupted if I walk in demonstration of gratefulness. It's important that you walk in a demonstration. It's a whole lot nicer to give to people who appreciate it and to give to people who despise you. If we continue to maintain that attitude of gratefulness with God, with other people, it opens things up but if I become ungrateful, it becomes a breeding ground for all sorts of evil. So much so that you become like a man who took the one who pulled him out of the group to be murdered, preserved his life, put him in a place to be king, and helped him while he was there. And that man became ungrateful and eventually got to the point where he would kill his son. Ungratefulness can make you do all sorts of things. Always look at what's going on in the world around you. Be thankful. God, I am thankful because there are things that have happened to me that I am not even aware of that you have done. I am so grateful for the things that I see and the things that I don't see. I thank you for it. I thank you for the people that you have put in my life that have influenced me in the way of the Word. Oh, I thank you for them. I thank you for the things they have taught. 
I thank you for the time that they put in. Oh, I thank you for the people that helped me as I was growing up and still I listen to now. Oh, I'm so thankful for the time they spent with God to hear from God and to share those things with me. But as long as I'm grateful, I receive from that. As soon as I become ungrateful, cut it off. I don't receive from that anymore. Because I'm not grateful for it. The devil knows this. If he can get you to be ungrateful for God, if he can get you to be ungrateful for the gift God has put into the body of Christ, if he can get you to be ungrateful for your brothers or sisters that are around you, if he can get you to be ungrateful for these things, it will cut off the supply that they will give you. And eventually, you will become weak and you will not resist any of the evil that he sows into your life. So much so that the king could kill the son. We wondered about the story. How does anybody get to that point? That's how you get there. We're not done with this though yet. We've got a lot of talk about vaccines. Next week we're going to take a look at the vaccine for ungratefulness. And that is contentedness. There's a vaccine for, for ungratefulness. If you keep this in your system, you will never become ungrateful. It is like a vaccine. You will never become ungrateful. But we're going to do a deep dive into, uh, into contentedness. I was uh, going to talk to someone on here and said, no, no, I, I, I wouldn't be able to do it justice. I want you to see what this would do. We're not just talking about the human understanding, the natural understanding of what contentedness is. I want you to see it from the biblical standpoint because there's some phenomenal things about this word, about what this can do for your life. And if you will adopt this and you will pull this in, you will never become ungrateful. If you never become ungrateful, most of the evil that the devil wants to sow in your life, most of the things he wants to get you to do, you will never touch. It will fall off of you because you're vaccinated. Would you all stand up with me? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the greatness of your word, how getting that word inside of our life preserves us, helps us, keeps us. But the enemy is against us going in the way of your word. He has people in our life that are there just to try and undermine us, to encourage us into a way of ungratefulness to look at what we have as too little or too much. But you have given us help that we don't have to go that way. I thank you for the Jehoidas that are in our life. They keep speaking to us and we keep listening to them. But the enemy wants there to be a day when we stop listening to the Jehoidas who have been in our life and for whatever the reason was, we became ungrateful. And we saw what they were doing as too little or too much. We became ungrateful. We cut off that source. Father, if that has happened for any of us here, bring us to know, to understand, and we can fix it. Because of a man who started a revival in a country came out of such evil 
that Athaliah brought in and turned the country around so that they were enthused about rebuilding the house of God and getting rid of the worship of Baal. If that man could turn to the place, turn against God, the things of God, and do the evil that he had done. It's not impossible. We could do it. Well, we don't have to go that way. We don't have to be in fear of going that way. I thank you for gratefulness that's on the inside of us. It's growing us up. It's maturing us. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. A couple things before you go.